Hey there, friends. Before we get into today's episode, I wanted to extend an invite to our new Collaboration Zone Zoom call starting July 1st, running every second week. This is a free Zoom chat get together with all of my entrepreneur friends in the Rise and Recovery Network, where we get to share mind and business growth tips and strategies, and you get to network with other entrepreneurs of all experience levels. So if you want to level up your business and get connected, book your spot today. Just head on over to www.theroadforward.ca slash collaboration zone. When we recover, we are returning to a normal state of health, mind, or strength. We begin the process of regaining control over something that was lost. Welcome to the Road Beyond Recovery podcast, and my name is Tamar, your host. Have you ever felt like you were meant for more? Well, I help people discover their purpose so they can follow their passion and realize what they are truly capable of. My mission is to empower people in recovery to embrace their authentic selves, live up to their true potential, and answer the question, what lies beyond recovery for you? Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me today on another episode of The Road Beyond Recovery. I'm excited you're here, and I don't know about you, but today I've been thinking about hugging. Now, does anybody else miss hugging? I know that we've been able to hug certain people in our family or our circle. Um, Well, I don't even know if we're really supposed to, but there are some people that I have not been able to hug for almost a year now. And now that things are starting to open up little by little, I think that's probably an area that I can't wait. You know, I can't wait to be able to hug the people that I love. Um, I haven't seen my, you know, my dad or my niece or my sister-in-law or brother for a long time. And so I am just really, really looking forward today. Um, I'm grateful at the thought of being able to eventually hug those that I care about. I might just go on a big hugathon, like where I literally go outside. I might creep some people out and just start hugging. You never know. We'll see how it goes. But uh, let's get into the show today. Um, before we actually get started, I just wanted to remind you of the Collaboration Zone Zoom calls. The structure will be as follow. They start July 1st. I'm going to be alternating. So every second week we'll be alternating time zones. So the first one will be at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. The following two weeks later will be at 5 p.m. Pacific Time. So we can make sure we get everybody in there. And this is going to be a 60-minute call. We're going to be opening it up with 10 minutes of training. We'll be talking about, you know, strategies on how to change your beliefs, your mindset. And we're going to be talking about the brain science of growth. And then we're going to be doing a speed connection round, which is basically an intro of who you are, what you can provide in terms of services. And then also you can ask for connections, right? Favors or feedbacks from the rest of the group. So, you know, say you need some help growing your LinkedIn following, there might be somebody on the call that can help you with that, right? And you'll have a chance to collaborate and strengthen all aspects of your business. And then of course, we're going to get into the last few minutes will be either a 10 minute hot seat where you can volunteer ahead of time. Uh, This happens actually when you register for your first call. 
And you get to basically tell the group, hey, this is my biggest roadblock right now. This is what I need help with. And everybody in the group, well, not everybody, but we'll, we'll, a few people can volunteer basically to give some feedback. Maybe they've been through what you're going through and they can give some additional guidance because we all have things that we've gone through in growing our business. So this just gives you a chance to get some feedback from the rest of the group members. Or we will be doing member training, and I'll probably do this a month on, a month off. We'll go back and forth between hot seats and member training. But this is where you have a chance to showcase your skills. So again, when you register for the call on the bottom, you can let me know if you're interested in either or both. And then we'll chat ahead of time. We'll get you to do a 10-minute training on what you specialize in, what you'd like to help the rest of the group with. And this gives you an opportunity to shine, right? So if anybody can utilize those skills, they can get in touch with you afterwards. And of course, these are all going to be recorded and aired as podcast episodes. So here is a chance for you to get yourself out there because anybody listening to those shows will now also be able to contact you. So I hope you guys can make it. Remember, July 1st is going to be the first one. They run every two weeks. Tell your friends and make sure you come join us in the Rise and Recovery Network for Entrepreneurs Facebook group. We have a lot of fun there. You will have um, insight into um, actually first access to some of the podcast interviews. I will be interviewing some of the members in there. We're going to be doing live interviews and then they will later be launched as a podcast episode. So you get a couple benefits. Um, You're going to get lots of benefits from being in there. Plus, it's collaboration and community. So what's better than that? So on today's episode, we chat with Trisha Copeland. Now her name will probably sound familiar to you and that's because it is. She is a award-winning author. She's got several books out there. So make sure you look her up. And we talk about her recovery as an anorexia survivor. She gets into her story Um, which I'm so grateful for. I just, I absolutely love it when guests will come on and share what they've overcome and it has really helped them become who they are today. So we get into that. Uh, We also talk about how that led to a brush with death. We talk about finding your own brand of magic because she believes that everybody has their own brand of magic. So we get into that. And of course, resilience, right? And finding support from people who can help you in your journey. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back. I'm hanging out with Trisha Copeland, award-winning author. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you? I am doing fantastic and so grateful you're on the show today. So why don't you start off by introducing yourself and what it is that you do today? Right. Well, hi, Tamara. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. My name is Trisha Copeland, and I'm an author. I write in several different genres, but my books really started with my story. I am a recovering anorexic or anorexia survivor, and a few years back, I just felt the need to write it all out. And I started that journey, and a couple of friends, an editor I knew said, you have to do something with this. So now I have a series called the Being Me series that is a fictionalized account of my experience with anorexia and recovering from anorexia. So being a recovering anorexia survivor, did this start off at a really young age for you? It didn't start off too young. 
would have said that it started in college, but when I actually think back, it started a little bit in high school. From my 10th, 11th grade year, I would do things like skip lunch and decide that, you know, I decided that everybody else looked better than I did and maybe I needed to look better than I did. So if I, if I really go back and look at my patterns, it was there before, I guess, the major part of my disease started. But really, it was my sophomore year in college when I really started having the problem. And again, it was, it wasn't the cause of it. I didn't, I told myself, you know, I need to look better. I need to be better. And so I'm going to restrict my food. I'm going to exercise. But there were a lot of things in the background. I was depressed and struggling with parents who didn't think I was doing enough and relationships that weren't what I wanted them to be. And, um, yeah, so it just led me to think, oh, you know, if I look better, then my life will be better. And then that just became a full-blown addiction that I couldn't get myself out of. I think you've struggled with similar things, and your brain just rewires itself, and it's not something you can stop. Yeah, and, it, you know, it's funny that you say the look better, because when I first got sober, I was 215 pounds, you know, when you're drinking 5,000 calories of alcohol every weekend, that tends to creep up on you. Um, but I remember thinking that alcohol is not my problem. Like I'm, I just have to be thinner if I'm skinnier and I look more, you know, pretty, then people will love me more. And I was always seeking that outside validation from everyone else. And it's like, I couldn't just love myself. And was that very similar with you as well? That was very similar. It was, very hard for me to see that I had worth outside of what I did. So if I made a good grade, then that was good. If I, I think I only had my grades to define myself at the time, um, being in school, that's sort of your job. And that's what my parents were measuring me by. So um, when I wasn't achieving what they wanted me to achieve in those places, and Really, I never could, because every time I make one bar, they'd raise it up, and I'd be like, okay. <laughs> and so eventually, I was like, screw this. <laughs> you know? I'm just going to do what I want to do. Not that those decisions helped me any either, but um, yeah. Now, things got pretty bad for you, because you actually had a brush with death. So can you talk a bit about that? Sure. I, like I said, I was restricting my food. I was over-exercising, and I got down to a weight. I didn't know how much I weighed at the time, but I got down to a weight of 72 pounds. Um, and I couldn't even see myself as that thin. But one night I had decided that I was going to try and eat again because I knew I needed to, like in my, you know, some logical part of my brain was pushing me to do that. But my body was already in such a bad state that it just couldn't handle it. My heart started racing and it would be racing one second and then the next second it would drop to where I could count to five before I could hear my heartbeat again. And that's when I knew I was really in trouble. Um, I called my friend, she took me to the medical center. The doctor there wasn't very nice to me, brutal, but true. She kind of said to me, you did this to yourself. We can't help you. I was really angry at her, but at the same time knew that that held, held a lot of truth because I was trying to run away from my problems by using this distraction. And I knew that I'd started out that way. 
but I definitely couldn't get myself out of it. And I don't think people realize how similar um, different types of addictions are because, you know, the more I talk to people, um, food is a massive addiction. And I think that I struggle from it today because of course I don't have the drugs or alcohol. And so I'll find myself with many cross addictions where I go from one to another to another. And now of course, food is something that while I enjoy, I love food a lot. And it's this fine line because it's something that can make me feel terrible inside. And it's something that, you know, when I have a good relationship with it, I can actually enjoy. But I don't think people realize how similar the feelings are with drug addiction and, you know, anorexia and all this stuff. Do you kind of find that as well? Definitely. And when I first went into recovery, I was hugely offended that they had put me in with all these drug addicts and cocaine addicts. And I, I say that now, like not offensive to anyone because the doctor that treated me, his main specialty was cocaine addiction. And he was like, your brain is just like a cocaine addict. I was getting that same high from not eating and exercising that other people were getting from drugs. The brain chemistry is the same. And the more I sat in rooms with these people and sat in recovery with these people, it is exactly the same. You're trying to fill some void that you can't get filled or you know, um, distract yourself from something that you don't want to feel or look at in your life. And I, I know you talk about, you know, that you instilled that fighting spirit within you after having that near-death experience. And I, I believe the same thing. Like, that is almost my addiction now has turned into my purpose. And I always try to encourage other people to look at their past and not look at it as a negative thing, but it's something that can actually fuel them into doing something more with their life. Is that the same for you? Definitely the same. It helped me to learn healthier behaviors around um, mental health and self-love and really even communication. I didn't have good communication skills when it came to my feelings or, you know, sharing issues with friends that had always been something that was hard for me. I wasn't able to talk about um, negative feelings or apprehension or fear or just any issues I had in my life. It wasn't taught to me. So that was a really hard thing I had. So I had to relearn all those things. And then, you know, the whole world opened up to me. I was just like, oh, I can be human. I don't have to be this zombie robot that has to look perfect all the time. I can talk to you. And, and actually, I gained so much more from that because I gained truly being open to people and truly knowing another person and having another person truly know me and that being like just okay and so that was the major gift i got out of my recovery and can embrace today just the fact that i have self-worth just because i am and because i'm human and i can relate to other people absolutely and the feeling thing that you mentioned i I think my first year in recovery, I cried more than I had my entire life because, of course, I started drinking when I was 14. And so I used that as a, a coping mechanism, right, and a numbing. And I was told that, listen, you stopped growing when you started using and you've never had a chance to really be open and honest. And, you know, it wasn't until last year when I wrote my first book that I actually learned how to be more vulnerable. So when you wrote your series, um, 
of books was it very was it therapeutic for you like really reliving all that kind of stuff it was and yeah it was really hard too because it did I relived a lot of those feelings but I think I was at a point in my life when I just needed to do that I needed to look back and I had you know some years passed from that and it was good for me to see how far I'd come where I didn't want to go back to and everything that I'd gotten since then from my recovery um, and it was really just a way maybe to explain to myself um, what happened and why it happened as well as help others maybe understand that and also give those struggling hope like yes you have these feelings you have these things that may have happened to you um, and there is hope at the end but you yeah you have to want it and you have to ask for it absolutely and you talk about resilience and finding your tribe right of people to help you in your journey I noticed for me and you kind of touched on it briefly that when you came into recovery you were around these people who you know could actually look you in the eye and said hey I know how you feel you know I felt that as well and that was a it was a odd feeling for me in the beginning but almost a relief like I was like okay I have my people because I really fought it in the beginning. Like I, like I said, I thought, well, I'm overweight, right? I just need to lose weight and then my self-esteem will be better and stuff like that. But it wasn't like that at all. And I didn't want to be like them. But after only a couple, you know, um, a, a couple days, I was like, wow, I am so much more like these people than I thought. And it was almost a relief because I had find, found my people. Yeah, and that's a very safe space because you sit in AA meetings or overuse anonymous meetings or you sit in your group therapy and like I did for day for days for 90, 100, you know, two years where it's just a safe space and you can sit there and you can listen to people talk about their stories and you can think about your story and talk about your story and yeah, you're safe knowing that everybody is, who's sitting there has been through something, no matter what it is, and is headed down the same path. Absolutely. Now, do you still struggle today? Are there times where it's difficult to not revert back to old patterns or behaviors? I have a line, I have to say. So I treat my anorexia, my food addiction, just like an alcohol. You can't treat it exactly like alcohol addiction because you have to eat. But, you know, I never miss a meal. I will not do that unless I, you know, just it's impossible. But I don't miss meals because if I miss meals, I think oh, the next day I don't have to eat that meal. So I definitely like my being thin and I like to exercise still. But in it's interesting because over this past year and I've read so many things, eating disorders just really are on the rise because people are stuck inside, they're isolated, they're finding coping mechanisms um, that are more socially acceptable maybe. But um, yeah, so I think a lot of people are struggling and there are times in my life when I struggle and my weight will go down a little bit and I'll be like, oh, I have to readjust that. You know, I need to add that extra banana or whatever it is back into my meal that I let slip out or back into my day that I let slip out. Or if I, I really like running and I really like hiking when all this the shutdown first started and it got warmer I would like run and then my friends would be like you want to go hiking so I'd be doing like both and one day I'm like hmm, maybe this is not the answer I mean it was fun and I was with my friends 
but you know, I didn't really need to hike 14 miles a day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I do that too. I actually did that when I became an entrepreneur. I was so excited to get up in the morning. And of course I had a day job as well at the time that it was no problem, but I hit burnout very quickly. And I almost was doing that swapping one addiction for another again. So it is that fine line where you have to be really careful and kind of think, ah, should I be doing this? Maybe not. Um, yeah, well, especially if you're excited about something, it's hard not to do it all the time. So there is there, there are those things that are just like, oh, this is awesome. This is so much fun. Um, but obviously there, you know, if you have a family or, you know, a, work, a job where you have to make money or, you know, you pay attention to all those mental health things as well. Absolutely. Now, you believe in finding magic and you believe each of us has our own brand of magic. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. This is something that's grown inside me for over the past couple of years, I guess, because I, I don't know why I'd never consider myself a fantasy fan because that's all I read in high school. And then I didn't really read in college. I could only read my books that I needed to study. That's all I had time for or in college. Yeah. And but um, then when I went back to reading, I went to Lord of the Rings and all these things. And I don't know, maybe I thought it wasn't cool or that my parents hadn't read that type of fantasy thing. Maybe I didn't think I was a fantasy nerd. But then I was like, I part of me started believing. I mean, not I just believe that there is some greatness and some great part of all of that. Uh, in each of us like something in each of us that's special and I kind of call it magic because I can link that to my my fantasy books but also there's little things that may be magic like helping a lady across the street with her groceries um some people may call it miracles some people may call it just positive energy um but you know and I I'm a scientist actually so I know that you know the sun and the moon spinning around the world or the world spinning around the sun is is not magic but it just looks so beautiful sometimes it's hard not to think that there's just something special and magical about neat moments when we're watching a waterfall or a shooting star or you know just finding discovering something about ourselves or you know creating art or music like I look at people that can play musical instruments and I'm like wow that that is magic (laughs) because I cannot do that that is your special magic I just feel like each of us has that within us I agree and I love to help people find their purpose right that ignite that spark within them that they realize that hey I'm actually capable of so much more than I think I am so you know, being an author, what inspired you to start writing? As I said before, I really started writing my story. And my husband thought it was kind of crazy. But I started in a notebook first. And he was like, here, sweetie, here's a laptop. <laughs> and, and so I would just write in the evenings instead of watching Netflix. And it was really more like a screenplay because I had lots of dialogue in there and it was like playing a little movie in my head and I created these characters and these fun um, scenes so I spent five years doing that and then handed it off to someone who's like yeah you need to do something with that my it grew from there like I said I'd already always loved fantasy and vampire fiction and so after I finished that first series I wanted to dive into that paranormal realm but I do always like I 
I had this, uh, I guess after I'd done several fantasy books, I heard this podcast and it was like, why fantasy fiction may be bad for teens. Like it takes us out, you out of your reality and it puts you somewhere else and it doesn't help you deal with real life problems. And I thought, hmm, because when I wrote my first fantasy book, I wrote about a girl who has drama in her family. So she goes to this summer camp to escape that. And she works as a counselor with these kids who are sight impaired. So, but the thing is, these kids can read her thoughts. So she really doesn't get to escape all her problems. She has to end up dealing with them. And then when I wrote about the vampires, I have a vampire witch hybrid who she's not supposed to be a vampire witch hybrid. They're forbidden. So she can't be a witch. She can't be a vampire among different. So nobody can know that. And she's trying to fit into a human world. And her mother moves her to different high schools. So she has all of those high school problems, like being in a new high school, being the new kid, being the kid with allergies who doesn't fit in, um, you know, being the kid who's different and bullied. And so I try to fit those things into my books. So, and maybe it's a little bit of how I felt as a teen too, like I didn't fit in and working through those problems. But I think those are a lot of the issues that we go through a lot, not only as an adolescent, but different times in our lives you know you go into a new room nobody knows you you're like ooh. I mean maybe some people walk into a room they're like awesome but I never did so I know there are those people out there but um, I wasn't that person so it's just really fun for me to create new worlds and new characters that have that are just finding their own magic they're finding their own power and realizing what they're capable of and see, I, you know, I used to read a lot of self-help book, um, memoirs, biographies. And what I found is that for me, part of my routine has become that in the evening, I have to stay away from anything that's going to give me fresh ideas. Because if I read those books at night, I will start thinking and then I get up and I have to write notes. You know, I've got the notepad by my bed. But now that I've switched over and thought, okay, you know, after in the evening, I'm going to read a romance novel or something fantasy, something that takes me away into a different world. I actually sleep better because I've, I'm in this different state for some reason. I'm just very relaxed and it's not something I really have to think about. So, you know, what's your favorite type of book genre to write? It really is that fantasy. Um, and I've heard it talked about before, like you have your comfort book, or your comfort series, maybe your comfort genre. And but over the past year, I've been rereading and rewatching the Vampire Diaries series forever. Like my husband's like, when are you going to stop this? I'm like, I don't know. These are my friends. I love them. <laughs> like, um, so and but I do I switch back and forth because sometimes my fantasy books can get really intense and I'm like oh no I can't put my character back through this or my my dystopian book was really the hardest one to write last year and um so I was like I can't no I can't put any more characters back in danger anymore and so that's when I go write a romance I'm like okay this is going to be a happily ever after there may be some drama you know, somebody's going to have a broken heart somewhere, but in the end, everybody's going to be happy. Um, and that's not as scary to me as life or death. Although sometimes, you know, those heartbreaks can feel like you're dying. So yeah, I do 
switch back and forth between what I write, but I am very invested in what I'm writing. So I'll be in the shower thinking about it. I'll be driving, thinking about it. But then, yeah, like you at night, I'll probably watch Vampire Diaries <laughs> so I can go to sleep. I love you know that what's going to happen. You, you know, it's predictable, even though they get in trouble, you know, when it's going to stop. So, yeah. That's an amazing show, by the way. You've actually inspired me. I may go back and start yeah. rewatching <laughs> it again as well, because they're good movies, right? They take you out of yourself for a little bit. Right. Um, so I get asked, and I've written two books now, and I'm definitely not an experienced author. Um, I often get off, asked, you know, how do you write a book? Where do you start? So for someone, you've written many, many more books than I have. What would be your top tips to start writing a book? So somebody's interested, they don't know where to start. Where would you recommend? What would be the top kind of three things that you would recommend they'd start with? Well, something you love, something you're passionate about. And people write in different ways. And the probably the top thing is just to start writing. Last year, I had a really hard time. I Before that, I'd written three books a year for the past five years. Um, and last year, I published in April, and I didn't write again until November, which is National Novel Writing Month. And I, just, I made myself do it because I was like, you know, I've loved this in the past. I want to do it again. Um, so I just started and I only had a character I didn't even have a plot like I didn't even have a bad guy and which is you know usually you have to have like you have to know like what the bad guy is or what the hard situation is so you know where your book is kind of gonna go that's how I'd always written before like I knew the bad guy I knew it's kind of like, go up this way and you knew what was going to happen and they, how they were going to get out of it or how things were going to get better but I started writing with just a character and that was it. Like I had a fairy character. I didn't have anything else, but the more I wrote, the more it came out and the more I just started thinking about it in my head and creating the bad guy and the plot and the subplots. And so, yeah, sometimes it's just about writing words down on a page and coming up with fun scenes in your head, um, the characters, their personalities, what their world looks like. So yeah, just some of it's just sitting down and writing. Just do it, basically. Just do it, baby. <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. like my running theme. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. When I first started writing, I was listening to some podcasts and they're like, okay, just get an idea, do a brain dump, put it on paper and just start, you know, my writing coach said, just start writing. Like you have, you know, the bun and the patty and just start writing the patty. And I'm like, okay. And I just started, you know, she's like, don't worry about the editing right now and all that kind of stuff. And I just let the words flow. And it was incredibly therapeutic writing. I think it really can be. Absolutely. So if people want to learn more about you or, or pick up your books, where can they find and learn more about you? Well, my website is a great place to start. It's trishacopeland.com, C-R-I-C-I-A-C-O-P-E-L-E-N-D. And I probably said that too fast, but <laughs> that is my Northeasterner, or at least that section of my life coming out. Um, so yeah, my website, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, um, on Twitter and I have a link tree that's also Trisha Copeland so if you go to my link tree that's like the easiest place you can have links to download some free short stories get to my newsletter and then all my other social media accounts awesome thank you so much for sharing your story and being on the show today thank you Tamara I really appreciate you having me 
Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. You know, this ongoing theme seems to keep coming up every time I interview a new guest, and that is resilience, right? I think one of the things that everyone has in common who has been through addiction, adversity, and who has essentially discovered their purpose as a result of the experience they've been through is resilience, right? That's how you get through things. I was recently in a situation where I stood my ground and somebody had told me that they admired my resilience, you know, and and I think, you know, tell me if you can relate, but sometimes I feel like I'm not resilient, right? I feel like I'm about to cave, my emotions get in the way because, you know, when I drank, really, it was because of my inability to handle my emotions in the first place. And so even though I'm much better at handling them today, I can still get caught up in the reacting part of emotional management. And so, you know, even though I feel like these um, these emotions that I'm going through are consuming me, I'm much better at being resilient and pushing through that because I have a crystal clear vision of where it is I want to go and what I want to do. And I think that is so incredibly important. Well, guys, don't forget to join us on the next Collaboration Zone Zoom call. Our very first one is coming up July 1st. You can sign up at www.theroadforward.ca slash collaboration zone, or you can just go to theroadforward.ca, scroll a little ways down, and there will be a link for you to hop on there as well. So I make it nice and easy. I hope to see you there. And until next time, stay safe out there. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Road Beyond Recovery. Did you know that our dreams can become a reality? When you determine your purpose in life and you allow that purpose to guide you, anything is possible. It just takes action. Don't wait until you're ready. Start to create the life you were truly meant to live right now. I am super passionate about my mission to help people live up to their true potential. So if you want to learn more, check out my website at www.theroadforward.ca. And until next week, keep exploring what lies beyond recovery for you.